Well, good morning, friends and people I don't know that might be my friends. My name is Rob Jacobson, and I'm so glad you're here today. And I loved, uh, I loved our worship music today. And this idea of being behind the music took on a new meaning as we were meeting, as we were gathered today, because this has been a week for me where I feel like I've been behind the music. Like, the music has gone in front of me, and there are moments where I didn't want to sing this week, where there wasn't praise ever on my lips. It was like I was trying to catch up with the music that I knew I was supposed to have. I wonder if I'm alone in this. Or if you've ever experienced moments in your life where you've maybe put on your should, you know, you, I'm just checking, I'm checking the, the, the faces in the room, okay, so I don't like to should on people, so I mean like you should do this and you should do that and you should, but there are moments where I should on myself, and I wanted to make sure I enunciated that clearly, because I'm not just trying to be funny, um, oh, I should be praising God right now. But there's tough stuff. And so this idea of being behind the music, just, just putting out there, I think it fits with where God has us going today, this morning, in his word. But maybe if you've had that experience today in today's readings and today's message, my prayer is that it helps you if you are feeling behind the music and you need to catch up or you should catch up. It's more about God not only hearing where you're at, but actually healing the hurts in your life. Truly being healer. I mean, there were these moments of glory this week. Uh, small thing, but Tuesday we had this planning meeting, and I love my staff. I just love the people I work with, and they have these great plans. I was like, yeah! I mean, it wasn't like singing out of the deal, but that's probably good for them. And then our student ministry, they went to the most unbelievable, no, most ultimate unbelievable urban camping experience with 625 other students, and they got to praise God and hear him speak into their lives. And so I used to be part of that. That was really exciting. Our own Leanne came back from Africa. We're so excited that she's back after over two months of serving the serving God. And oh, I can't wait, but don't overwhelm her. But then on Wednesday, I got a call that the school that our group of churches founded and still does ministry with, Minnehaha Academy, had a gas line explosion. Yeah, that's how I see, feel. Um, and uh, brick, glass, uh, even just the air pressure hurled students in debris everywhere. And there were hundreds of students and athletes and musicians on campus, as well as the administrative staff. Um, two, people, two people died in the explosion. And um, it made national news, let alone local. And some of these people aren't my friends. And I'm, I'm both amazed at how there weren't more people hurt and yet hurting because I know two people died. Two people that loved the school and the school that loved them. And I learned, I spent a lot of the afternoon on Wednesday praying for them and kind of wondering, you know, how are they going to heal? And I find out later from a friend that on Wednesday night, and it happened Wednesday morning, the Minnehaha community gathered together and they prayed 
and they sang. I mean, their wounds weren't even scarred over, and they sang. They weren't behind the music. They were with the music or in front of the music. And that's the kind of life that I want to live, and I, I let the circumstances of my week often affect how I worship and if it's really, truly well with my soul. Jesus, in John 20, on the night of his resurrection, he appears before his disciples, these students that he's been with for over three years, and he shows them his wounds, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Jesus showing them his wounds was part of their healing because they went from sadness or mourning to joy. How are our wounds connected with our healing? And more importantly, how can we heal from all our hurts? Is there a way that God shows us how to heal? Not superficial Everything's going to be okay. God heals everything. Not, not like super fluffy or super cheesy, but truly holy, healed in his name. I think he does. And I believe if we can learn this way of healing, then even when we have these emotional roller coaster weeks, even when tragedy and pain strike our lives, that we can feel well with our soul, that we can have a peace that, isn't, that doesn't just fill our lives, it actually spreads out to others. So if you have your Bible uh, or a Bible, turn to Exodus 15. If you want a Bible, go to the, someone in the back and they'll find one for you. It's like magic. Um, or you can open your phone to like version or Bible app. No one will judge you as long as you're not on Facebook. I'm just kidding, sort of. Uh, we pray with me. God, this is your word. It's your story. And our goal is not to get through it, but it to get through us. I pray that we would hear you, that you would heal us, that we'd walk out of here different today because of you. Amen. Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went to the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink it because they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? When then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. And there the Lord issued a decree a ruling and instruction for them, and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and you pay attention and you do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to all his or to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I the Lord, the God who heals you. For I am the Lord, the God who heals you. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. 
might seem like a peculiar piece of scripture. It's the first time that God identifies himself as the healer. So I thought that's probably a good place to start. So if you know the story of Exodus, where were the people right before this happens? It's right there in the text. You can shout it out if you want. Sometimes your answers are better than mine. They were in the Red Sea. What, where, where were they before the Red Sea? Egypt. Okay, what was Egypt to those people? Slavery, bondage, wilderness. Who was their boss in Egypt? Their boss? Pharaoh. What did Pharaoh do for them? Gave them food. They always had food, right? What did they also always have? Water. Water. Oppression. Tell me more about oppression. (laughs) Oh, boy, we could spend hours. (laughs) More to do with less resources to do it. Well, no, no. There was always work. There was always work. And then when they asked to stop and go on a three-day journey into the wilderness to worship God, offer sacrifices and worship God, he says, not only no, but I'm going to give you more work because you must be lazy if you think you need a break. So they had everything they needed, food and water, but they could never stop. That was their slavery. So the Red Sea for them, I think, represents freedom. Freedom from that life and that oppression. And from the Red Sea, they go into the wilderness of Shur. Now, Shur is this Hebrew word that means walls. And walls are interesting because walls around a house are good, I think, most of the time. Because if it's not, it's a canopy, if it's just a roof. But also, like, they provide protection from the elements, heat, cold, but also, you know, elements of people. And so that's a good part of walls. Although walls between countries, they seem to keep opposition uh, going. They seem to keep conflict going. So maybe those are not good walls. And if you're a distance runner... You don't ever want to hit the wall. And for those of you who don't know, hitting the wall is when your uh, glucose or your sugars in your body run out, and that's the thing that most easily burns as you're exercising. And when those deplete, everything in you wants to shut down and stop. You don't want to hit the wall when you're running. And so I think that it's no accident that the writer says they walked into a place called Walls. And three days into that journey, remember the last time they had a three-day journey into the wilderness, or they thought they were going to? They were going to worship God. And instead, they come to a place where there's no water. Well, there is water. It's just bitter. See, this isn't just a story. This isn't some ancient story. This is real life. They're three days in, into a desert, where there's, they haven't seen water for three days, which is kind of important. You need water to live. 
when I go three hours without water, my throat starts to get scratchy. I start to get a little crabby. I get a little unfocused. My wife's like, you need to drink some water. And they go three days. How bad was that water that they couldn't drink it after three days of not having it? And instead of feeling joy for being free, and three days into the wilderness, getting to worship God, like they had first talked about, they taste the bitterness of where they are. So imagine your entire life, because this is real life. So your entire life, you've done the same thing all the time, and you know it's hard to stop, but it provides for your needs. It provides for your needs, and you have everything you need. Some of the things you want, but you have everything you need. And then you stop doing that. But then you realize all you've done is all you've ever known. So where are you? I would say you're in the wilderness with walls. You're not sure if they're good or bad. And there's bitter water. Marah. So you're 11 years old and you just finished elementary school. I guess my, uh, there's a few of you. And so you're 11 years old, you just finished elementary school, and it's like, woo, Red Sea, because now I don't just have one teacher, and I don't have to, you know, keep track of behavior points, and like, the hall pass for everything, and, you know, the class gets punished for one kid's inappropriate behavior, like, woo, Red Sea. But middle school, six, seven, eight teachers, more homework, more responsibility, like, oh, bitter water. Or you're 16. You're 16 and you take driver's ed and you get your driver's license. Woo, Red Sea, like I get to drive. Yeah, freedom. But I have to pay for a car. Or I have to pay for insurance for a car. Or I just have to pay for the gas for the car. But all of a sudden, like, whoa, more responsibility. And I have to pick up siblings. (laughs) And I have to not kill anyone. And I have to obey the rules of the road. And I have to not get a traffic. Like, oh, Mara. Bitter water or you're 20-something or 30-something or more something, and you land the job of your dreams. And you love it. It seems like the Red Sea, except the hours are killing you. And you barely get to see your friends. And you're not eating well, and you're not exercising, and you can just feel it catching up with you. It's Marah. It's bitter water. Or let's get a little deeper. You're 40 something or 50 something, or it really doesn't matter, but you're in this really, really bad relationship. And and the person leaves. And there's like this moment for you where it's like, oh, freedom. Except bitter water. Like what if what if everything that person said is true? What if our friends won't be my friends? What if, what does it look like to go forward? Marah. Or you're a grown up, but you've grown up hearing certain things. They're like little tapes that play in your head and they're not healthy or helpful. And you want to 
get better. You know you need to be reprogrammed, but you're embarrassed about getting reprogrammed because how are you going to tell people that you feel like an idiot because someone told you you were an idiot 17 times when you were... Marah. So I actually take some comfort from the fact that these people complain because I do my fair share of complaining. But I take some comfort because they don't get it right. But it was God who led them to bitter water. I mean, Moses led them there, but Moses was led by God. God brought them to a place of bitter water. have to believe that there is something about being at the bitter water. That maybe God takes us to a place of bitterness so that we know the reality of where we are and where we've come from. If you are in a place of Marah, you need to know not only where you are, but also where you've come from. This is what God, I think, is trying to do with them. It says the Lord shows Moses this piece of wood. Now, he could have used any word to say, look, there's something. He could have done any miracle. What about this wood and what about this experience? To show him the piece of wood is to point out something good or something that could be good. It's the word that's used for Torah in the scripture, which is the word for God's word or God's law or God's commands. And then Moses casts it into the water, which is also the word for Torah to throw in a direction. So this idea of show or instruct is to point out something good and then to go in that direction. That's what God is doing in that moment. He is not just about taking something that's bitter and making it sweet. He's about showing them a way to to goodness, to wholeness, and to health. When we're in a place of hurt, when we're feeling behind the music, God is there. God is there if you are complaining or if you're praising, but he is there. And he's wanting to show you the good way. Not only the way from bitterness to sweetness, but the way to healing. He says, if you listen carefully and do what is right, then I will not bring upon you the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians. If you remember, God didn't just bring on disease like, oh, you got a case of the measles. He brought like plague after plague after plague. But really, they're all afflictions. They're all diseases. And actually, in the story of the Israelites, if we were to track this, you would see 10 times that the Israelites grumble against God. There were 10 plagues on Egypt. There were 10 grumblings that Israel did to God. And after the 10th one, that's when they had to go wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Because God doesn't want you to be in the wilderness forever. He wants to bring you to a place of healing, but he knows that sometimes we need to stop in the wilderness to get ready for that place of goodness. Because, see, if you've ever moved jobs because of some situation, but you didn't deal with your own stuff, you just bring your stuff to the new place, and all of a sudden the new place comes just like the old place. Can I get an amen? Okay, some of you, you don't know that? Or 
You go from this family and you don't deal with the stuff that was dysfunctional. You just think you're bringing the fun from the dysfunction. Guess what? The dysfunction comes with you. If you don't deal, that's why God puts us in those places of the wilderness so we can deal with that. He actually wants to deal with it. That's where he says, I am the Lord who heals you. He heals us. It's not just about making the bitter things sweet. It's about restoring our soul. And the promises for those who hear, which means obey. If we want to be healed, we've got to hear God. We've got to hear what he says about us, about what he says about the reality of where we are and where we've been. And then respond accordingly. That's how we heal from our hurts, by hearing what God is saying. David, someone who got it right more often, who is called a man after God's own heart, said in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. See, David was confident that God is the one who heals, that he's the restorer of souls. But look how he does it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Guess what? Green pastures, if you're a sheep, if you're a cow, if you're some livestock, green pastures are places to play and frolic. Or they're places to eat and feast. They're not places to lie down. See, to be healed by God and to hear God means that we might do things that don't seem con- that seem contrary to where we're where we are. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. But in quiet waters, <laughs> I see my reflection. I see my wounds and my weaknesses and my faults. So if I want to be healed by God, I have to look at things that I might not want to look at. He guides me along right paths. Hearing God means I go his way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. I'm the way. The Lord shows him a stick. He throws it in the This is the way to healing. If we want to be healed, we've got to learn his way. I, I'm convinced that many of us are stuck or sick because we complain or we make excuses or we just don't really, really hear what God is saying. Maybe we don't believe that God is a restorer of souls, but we end up staying in that bitter place and we never make it to healing. Elam was an oasis. 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Woo! We could go on for that for a long time, but we won't. Um, Water. I mean, just water. If you're in the desert, that's great. But think about the cleansing. Think about getting the dirt out of your ears because it's dusty everywhere. But also think about the the shade of those palm trees, the coconuts, this place to be healed. They never make it there if they sit in the bitterness. See, see we're like the guy in, that Jesus meets on the way to a festival in John chapter 5. 
It says that Jesus was walking around in Jerusalem and he came to the pool that was called Bethsaida. It's this huge pool. There's lots of hundreds and hundreds of people there. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed, they all used to be there. And sometimes the water would stir and people would go in and be healed. And there's someone who has been invalid for 38 years. The average lifespan around this time is 40 years. 38 years. He's been lame and laying by the pool. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned of his condition, he says, do you want to get well? Emphasis mine. Do you want to get well? See, sometimes we're content staying stuck because we think there's less responsibility or something. But he says, oh, but look, look, I can't get in. There's no one to help me. It's my parents' fault. It's just the way I was wired. No. No, Jesus says, get up. Pick up your mat and go. In that hearing, that invalid has to make a decision. Will I believe God is healer? And will I stand up? We have to hear his voice. Even if we're behind the music, even if we're not to the place of praise, we have to hear his voice and trust that he's going to show us the way to something good. I mean, it repeats in 2 Chronicles 7.14. This is over and over in scripture. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. I'll heal where they live. Or Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13 says, If you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is our God. This is who he is. He is the healer and the restorer of our soul. And like I already said, Israel, 10 times they complained. They couldn't do it on their own. It's not enough to think, I'll just have to have the willpower to hear God and obey him, and then I'll be fine. Well, maybe, but years of history show we can't do it on our own. The prophet Isaiah knew this and foretold of one who would have to do it for us. Isaiah 53, it says that, Surely this servant of the Lord, he took on our pain. He bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted. The disease of the world came on him. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that was brought us peace was put on him. By his wounds, we're healed. Not by practicing religion, not by trying to do it on our own, by his wounds, we're healed. Jesus showed them his wounds, and they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. His wounds are part of our healing. Our wounds are not just a record of our hurt. They're a sign of our healing. They show us where we have been and where we are. So can you hear God? If you can, he'll heal you. He is the restorer of souls, no matter how deep the scars. Just talk to God about where you hurt and what you need. 
no matter what has happened. And I know it's not quite that simple, but we would love to pray with you after the service. Ask God for healing. And if you've been healed, then talk about your scars as part of your healing. I've got a nice five-incher that I'm going to refrain from pulling out my shirt. I promised my wife I would not do that. But for 20 years, I've wondered why this kidney doesn't work as well as this kidney. But I'm not a medical guy, so I didn't know. And sure enough, they discover something, and they end up cutting me open, which is the greatest thing in the world because it's fixed, it's healed. I'll talk about it forever. I'll show people. When I wear a swimsuit, it's a little higher than the waistband, and I'm not, never mind. Anyway, people can see it. I don't care because I'm healed. And it goes way deeper than just kidneys. It looks like this. This guy named Jamie Workowski, who didn't set out to start a nonprofit, he was just trying to help a friend. And he wanted to tell her story. He actually wanted to write her a song, but because stories, they kind of wait for endings, and songs, they just, they don't resolve. They're these brave things that we boldly sing, even when all we see are scars, even when things aren't finished. And when Jamie met Renee, she was 19, and cocaine was in her system, and she hadn't slept in 36 hours, and she wasn't going to sleep for another 24. But that's what happens when you put pills and pot and cocaine and alcohol in your system. Jamie and his friends met Renee, and she agreed to listen to them and be prayed for by them. They asked Renee to leave that broken night. She said she would go to rehab in the morning, but she couldn't go that night. It was just too fresh. She wasn't ready for that kind of a change. And they say goodbye to her. And she's in between these two groups of friends that are offering opposite ideas. Stay out and party, don't address the pain, or, or get help. And all she's known is pain. And she remembers the haunted dreams of her childhood, the near constant presence of evil. Ever since she was young, she's felt the touch of awful men. She's battled depression and addiction and even attempted suicide. And her arms remember the razor blades, the 50 scars that speak of wounds. And that night, as these two groups of friends are battling for her soul, she decides to lock herself in the bathroom and write screw up with a different word on her arm. When they take her to the treatment center the next morning, the nurse looks at her and checks her out and says, we don't run a detox. Uh, she, she can't come in. She's got to get this all out of her system and they won't accept her. And so for the next five days, Jamie says, she's ours to love. We become her hospital, and the possibility of healing fills our living room with life. It's unspoken, and there's only a few of us, but we will be her church, the body of Christ, coming alive to meet her needs and to write love on her arms. Her life has been so dark, and yet when she shares the words of her story, 
People hear her. The prettiest girls in the room tell her how beautiful she is. I think it's God reminding her we fill her with too much Starbucks and way too many cigarettes and concerts and NBA games and bookstores and more coffee. And at Sunday at church, four days later, we pray for her and everyone is a friend that night. We say goodbye and we offer her gifts and encouragement because she's going to rehab the next morning. And she pulls Jamie aside. She says she has a gift. She leaves the room and comes back and she hands him her last razor blade. She says, this is the one, the last one I have. It's the last one I use to write this. And I want you to have it. Because I know that tonight's going to be my hardest night. I'm not safe with it. And he takes it. And that's when the organization to write love on her arms starts. Because he knows that this is what it's like to let God heal us. This is what it's like to turn our lives over to Christ. To say, you are the one who can be my healer. You are the one who will write love on my arms. You are the one who will show someday that these scars are not just wounds. These are a record and a sign of my healing. Church, this is what we're made for. This is why we're called restoration. It won't make sense when we see it, but when we see it, we've got to hear, and when we hear, we've got to act. Some of those wounds are not going to be as obvious. But we can pray. We can ask God. We can open our lives and our homes and watch him do amazing things. Pray with me. God, I thank you that even when I am behind the music, even when there's praise that is not on my lips, God, that you are still at work, you're still good, you're still showing us a way to goodness, to sweetness, and to healing. God, for those of us who are in Marat, I pray that we wouldn't leave there until you show us why we're there, until you show us where we've been. But when we see it, God, I pray that we could hear and we could act and you could bring us to that place of healing. Bring us to those oasis. Show us the friends that we have that won't judge us, but will stand by us, that will open their homes, that will open their hearts, that will open their ears, that will listen to our stories. God, we are made to sing regardless of our scars. Thank you, Jesus, that when you were the one who showed your scars, you were the one who brought the healing. And if there's people here who don't know that Jesus has given this healing that has offered his life, that has made our relationship with God new once again, I pray that you would say, yes, I want that. I want that healing. I want that in my life. I can't do it on my own, but you, Jesus, you are the healer. You are the one who gave your life so that I could be with you. And I love you. Thank you, God by your wounds that we are healed. Amen.